Hello. Today's scripture is John chapter 10, verse 22 through 42. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. <clears throat> I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them to gods, to whom the word of God came, the scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming, because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And they believed in him there. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning and good evening. Or good evening and good morning. Move back here. Um, great to see you. You guys know I wear glasses, but when I preach, I don't like to wear it. Uh, I don't like to wear them, period. But uh, let me just get my time going. Um, yeah. If I don't have this time, I can see that one. I need this one. I can uh, tend to talk too much. Uh, I came from a continent of people. In the West, in America, people say, there's a running clock, or time's going, time's flying. Where I come from, we say time walks. So if I tell you I'm walking through the scripture, which you get ready. <laughs> Man. Um, excited to be here. Excited to, to walk through the passage <laughs> with you. Let me open up in a word of prayer. Thank you, God. No one here is here to hear anything that Marcus Doe has to say. Uh, they want to hear from you. So Lord, uh, may I bet just be a mouthpiece for your word. Uh, let your Holy Spirit work through me in the next few minutes as we spend our time in the scriptures, teaching, hearing, and understanding 
Lord, I pray for softer hearts in the congregation and online uh, that you will plant seeds through this word. Uh, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I always remind you that um, James chapter 3 uh, says to me and millions of people out preaching the gospel, uh, teaching the Bible, that we will be held to a harsher, higher standard. Uh, God holds me accountable for what I do here in the next 30 minutes. Uh, so as we dive into the words, know that I have prayed, um, spent time studying, invited the Holy Spirit in to understand and to, to, to capture what God wants to say to you from this passage in this moment, in this city, in this time. Are you with me? I have titled this sermon, Do You Still Need a Reason to Believe? Do you still need a reason to believe? I think the sound is good. Thank you, Cooper. A lot of us live with people, amongst people, um, who have seen God in us, hopefully, and have heard the gospel either through the words we speak or our actions in the world. We live amongst, we work with, perhaps we go to school with, or we're roommates with people. Uh, we have shared clear answers to prayer with some people. In the lives of others, you have seen and shared miracles that God have done in your life or answers to prayer. Yet, people you share the gospel with remain unmoved. If I'm on your block, give me an amen. There are some people in your life that you've shared the gospel with and they just remain unmoved. Co-workers, roommates, best friends, for some of us even spouses. Some of us share a great testimony. Some of us have a great testimony. We share it, but our relationships over time with these people remain unchanged. Their relationship to God hasn't moved. It remains unchanged. But you remain a faithful witness. You try to encourage. You steadfast, you want to show God's steadfast love to your brother, to your sister, your roommate, your co-worker. If you have your Bibles this morning, thank you, Mary, for reading so graciously. Uh, Mary read John chapter 10, verses 22 to 24, and we'll camp out in there this morning. Do you still need a reason to believe? As Jesus, this passage, Jesus is, is walking into the temple. The Bible says in that passage, it is winter. So, you know winter. Winter comes through here every once in a while, right? It gets a little cold. It's winter. If you can imagine with me, Jesus maybe has a cloak on, and he's walking what the Bible, some Bibles call the colonnade, or the porch, or the portico. Um, the portico of the temple was built by King Herod, who is the current ruling king at this point. And he, he sets up this place. At the side of the temple, this is where the Gentiles usually met. People who weren't Jewish, who weren't allowed to go into the temple, they would meet on a colonnade. 
Well, in the winter, it's probably sparsely populated as Jesus is walking down. It is also the festival of dedication, they call it, which is basically Hanukkah, that time of year. So it's roughly December. You follow me? And when Jesus walked up in verse 24, it says, the Jews gathered around him and began to ask him a question. Let me pause right there. <clears throat> the word gathered in verse 24 is a Greek word kuklo. The gather is not what we can what we will want to interpret in English as just gathering around. It sounds more like, like it's a friendly gathering. This word kuklo can actually be translated kind of, it's like, a, like an encircling, like a besiege, besiege mentality. You understand? When, when, when an army or someone who has harmful intentions or is against someone, they encircle them. So the Jews encircled Jesus on the porch of the colonnade. They came up, they surrounded him, and they started to ask. When I was in high school, we used to say, you run up on somebody. You come up on somebody, right? To understand come up on or roll up on, let me explain it, right? I'm not saying don't go out there and say your pastor said to do this. Do not, I'm not saying this. I want you to imagine Imagine this, if you want to feel what it feels like to be rolled up on, to be come up on, I want you to walk into Safeway, Arborsons, or Sprouts, or Whole Foods without your mask. <laughs> They'll roll up on you, right? That's the, that's the gather that Jesus is going through. That's the roll up on. You understand? Everybody's there with me, right? You walk up in there right now without a mask, somebody's going to roll up on you. Their question is a key one. They say, how long will you keep us in suspense, Jesus? Tell us plainly, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Tell me plainly. If you're a keen observer of our culture right now, of our city, of our nation, of our world, our current milieu is asking almost the same question to each Christian. Can you show us plainly that Jesus is who he says he is? Can you tell me plainly? Maybe that's what your roommate is asking you. Maybe that's what your coworker is asking you. Can you tell me plainly that Jesus is who he says he is? How long will you keep us in doubt or suspense? How long? Are you or are you not, man? Just tell us. Right? They're on him. And Jesus says to them, in so many words, he says, I'm going to tell you this. But I've told you already, through the works I've done, the promises I made, and the metaphors I've shared. I've told you plainly, if I could told you as if I could tell you as plainly as I can, through the works, the miracles I've done, the promises I've given, and the the metaphors I've shared. Now, in the next following eight or nine verses, Jesus actually walks through these three things: the works that he's done, the promises that he's giving, and the metaphor that he uses. Jesus tells them without telling them outright, right? But he says to them, he said, you won't hear me because you won't hear me because you're not my sheep. You won't hear me because you're not my sheep. 
So not only is he telling them who he is in these next few verses, but he's telling them who they are not. Very important. Let me start with the works. So why can't the Pharisees or the religious leaders just pick this up once and for all? You, you are Christ. You are the Messiah. I get it. Why can't they, why can't they just pick it up? These are, not, these are people who just have just a, a hard time believing, right? For one reason or another, maybe they're slow processors, right? Maybe they have a hard heart, right? Maybe they have a longer way to go. But they just can't get to the point where they believe. Do you know anybody like that? Have you shared the gospel with anyone like that? So maybe this person will process. Maybe they will get it, right? But then there's a last group of people, which I believe where they belong, where they sit, is the people who just have, who just have, who, who are just in direct opposition to Jesus and his claims. They're just in opposition. They don't want to believe, right? Despite all the evidence that they've seen over two and a half, three years that Jesus is walking through, they just don't want to believe. In our country these days, if anyone here falls in that category, I don't know what to say to you. Um, in some circles in this country, there are people who don't believe we landed on the moon. There are people who don't believe 9-11 happened, despite all the evidence. Have you tried to explain somebody something that is so clear to you, but you can't get it past them? If I'm on your block, give me amen. amen. For some people, the resurrection is like that, right? Despite evidence, they just won't be convinced. I'm at verse 25. So Jesus answered them and said, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness to me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Jesus says, man, Listen, guys, I have healed people, right? You've heard the things I've done. I have fed people, right? I have done so many other things, but you don't want to believe because there's a deeper reason why you don't want to believe. You are not my sheep. The reason why they don't want to believe is much deeper. What about you? Sitting in this room in Tucson this afternoon, do you still need another reason to believe? Do you need another reason that Jesus is who he says he is? If you do, holler at me at the end of this service. This Monday, uh, my wife and I have a little garden plot um, right here, just west of here. And we went to the garden plot to throw some seeds in, you know, water in, you know, try to get some fresh vegetables, you know, you know the deal, right? Just trying to get out. And where the plot is located, we're sitting there, you know, trying to figure it out, getting some water, trying to figure that out. And as we were about to leave, we're going to the car, and there was a brother. You understand what I'm saying? I don't, let me just bring you into a little, let me just bring you into a world real quick, okay? Usually, in parts of the country, in America, where there aren't, if the, if the black population isn't that much, if it's like below 10% or below 20%, below even 5%, when you see another brother, you tend to give them one of these, right? How you doing? I see you. Just, just, just a, a recognizing that I see you. So this brother saw me, and he made a beeline for me. He gave me one of those. All of a sudden, he opens up to me, and he starts talking, 
like we, like we are brothers, like from another mother. He starts talking. He says, here's what he says. He said, man, I was, I was close to suicide. In the first two minutes of the conversation, he says, I was close to suicide in this city in 2005. Someone talked me off the ledge, and that person actually invited me to work, to help them work, to work with them, right? The, the person asked him if he could help distribute vegetables to, 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 a single peop, to single moms and, and people struggling to get vegetables in the city, to lower income people, right? He said, I started working with this guy, and the guy invited him to church. He went to church from 2005 to 2011. What I have to mention is that he was born a Muslim, nation of Islam from New York City. In 2011, he got baptized. Do you still need a reason to believe? Do you still need a reason to believe? See, the answer Jesus gave, gave to the Pharisees is the answer they were not looking for. They wanted more proof that he was the Messiah. And Jesus is telling them, he says, your role, uh, religious leaders, your role in society was to be under shepherds for, for God. That was your role, right? To be a God, but you're not even sheep. Let me explain the metaphor a little bit. So Dave and I are shepherds in this congregation, or the elders are shepherds in this congregation. But we are also sheep following the shepherd. So if, if Jesus was to walk in here right now and say to me and Dave, you guys aren't even sheep, oh. You see, you see how Jesus is telling them, but he's not telling them. He's telling them about himself, right? You are not even, he said, you're not even among the sheep. You have failed. Basically, you ain't ready to hear the message. You're not ready. Then Jesus goes into another, another part. He says, I've, I've showed you some works. Now let me give you some promises. Let me tell you why I'm God. Let me give you some promises. Promises or assurances. I actually like the word assurances. Jesus gives them some assurances. He says, let me read the, let me read the passage first. He says, my sheep hear my voice, verse 27, and I know them and they follow me, in verse 28. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. He says, my sheep will never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand. You know why Jesus can make such guarantees? You know why he can guarantee stuff like that? Because he's God. So he's telling them that he's God in a way that maybe they'll understand. He's telling them while he's telling them. Only God can say the things that he's saying. So he's saying some things that they understand, but the underlying tone is that I am God. No exceptions. If you are my sheep, no exceptions, you will not be snatched out of my hand. You will not be snatched. You will not be snatched. See, an assurance, an assurance, when Jesus gives us an assurance, an assurance is a declaration, right? And with, with, to offer you confidence, a promise, something that cannot, you cannot lose. An assurance is different from insurance, which is what some other people offer. 
which is where some other avenues offer, is insurance. I don't know. I hope nobody in here works in the insurance industry. If you do, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, I often make the mistake of reading, trying to read through the fine print whenever I get you know, life insurance, car insurance, medical insurance, all the insurances that we can get. And I start reading, reading through the fine print of the insurance, right? And some of them will say, you got full coverage. Full coverage. Full coverage. What does full coverage mean? It doesn't really mean full coverage, right? The fine print will tell you what full does not include. <laughs> doesn't include you being a fool, right? Full coverage doesn't mean full, you're covered except X, Y, and Z, right? You're covered except if you do this, if this happens in this situation, if you get a hailstorm, we're not, you know what I'm saying? We're not responsible. They do that because they cannot offer you full coverage. If I'm on your block, say amen. When Jesus puts you in his hand, he's not giving you insurance. He's giving you assurance. More than full coverage. Here's the thing. Jesus goes further with full coverage. He said, not only are you you're covered fully, you have double coverage. Because you're also in the Father's hands. Oh, Jesus, man. You have eternal life, eternal life. You will never perish, and no one can snatch you out of my hand because the Father and I are one. So if you're in my hand, you are in the Father's hand as well, right? But sometimes this promise or this assurance, if you're honest with me, it doesn't seem like it's enough for us. Some of us sit in this room, just like the religious leaders, we are looking for more. We're looking for the fine print in Jesus' assurance. We're looking for the fine print. We're looking for a place where it's like, ah, see, Jesus doesn't cover this. Oh, when you're going through something, he's a God, when you say, why is it, man, Jesus, you're not covering this part, right? Jesus is offering assurance for your soul, ladies and gentlemen. If you hear me say amen. Jesus is offering assurance for your soul. The, he is Lord over our fears on both sides of eternity. He is Lord over time. He is Lord over your circumstances. He is Lord over the most difficult times that you have and the most joyful times that you have. He is Lord. I want to read something. And I'm going to try not to cry. Give me a second. As I was preparing this morning, I was like, man, how can I explain this? How can I explain kind of Jesus' full coverage that he's promising all of us? And I went to Romans 8, verse 38. The day I die, if I die in Tucson, someone should read this verse. Paul says this, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus our Lord. Amen. Nothing. If that's not full coverage, I don't know what is. Nothing. 
Full cover doesn't mean you won't get into situations. You will be bruised and battered, but you have assurance. You will never be snatched up. On this faithful journey that we call life, you will, Jesus would never lose track of you. He said to me, what if there are no miracles, Marcus, along the way when I'm asking for a miracle? What if there are no show and tell moments with Jesus Christ? Are you able to rest assured in Jesus' name? See, sometimes when I talk to people and, and there's, they're, they're skeptical about Jesus, the question is, it, it, it never seems like it's enough evidence. Right? You can't give them enough evidence. You can't say enough evidence. If you're here right now, you, you said, Marcus, this is all flowery language, right? Lack of, I need some tangible guarantees. How can you guarantee me more? If you're rationally inclined, like sometimes I tend to be, right, and you're still on the fence and you're saying, Marcus, give me more. Tell me plainly. That's the same question that they're asking. Tell me plainly. Tell me more. Give me assurance. Give me clarity, Right? Evidence is the miracles are all around, but I need more. If you're there right now, consider this. That maybe you have already made up your mind about Jesus and you have rejected him. Like the Pharisees, like the Jews. Maybe you've already made up your mind. See, at some points when you're having conversations with people, they're not looking for a reason to believe. They're looking for a reason to reject. You with me? They're looking for a reason like the Pharisees so they can throw stones at Jesus. I pray God softens hearts in our city. Do you still need a reason to believe? The last thing Jesus says to him is works. He talks about the promises. You will never be snatched. And then he gets into the question that they want to answer, that he's trying to answer, but not in the way they want, about his deity, his claim to be God, his, his, his part of the Trinity, if you will, his, his divinity. As I read this story, or I read the book of John, the question I asked myself, why can't Jesus just tell him? Yeah, you, you get to that point? Can you just tell him, Right? Can you just tell him, I'm equal with God, I'm God, now you can get up out of my face. Can you just tell him? Can Jesus just tell him? Right? He told him. Somebody redeemed up in here. I and the Father are one. It's too metaphorical for them. They can't pick that up, right? It's too vague. Here's the answer. Why doesn't Jesus just tell him? I'll tell you. The answer lies not with Jesus' words, but the state of their hearts. See, when they're asking these questions on, in a cold winter day on, on the porch to Jesus, when they're rolling up on Jesus, they really want to bait him into getting him to say something that they can, they can use to stone him and kill him. They're not asking him to, so that they can be convinced that he is Lord. Their mind's made up. Right? Their motivation for asking is so that, not so that they can believe, so that they can justify stoning him, so they can, they can justify killing him. Because they have plenty of evidence in Jesus' life that he is God. He said it. He's done things, right? They want to confirm. They even say that to Jesus. They say, we, we love the miracles that you do. That doesn't offend us. 
the blasphemy. You saying you're God, that's what gets us, right? People in, this, people in the world say that today, right? Jesus is a good teacher. He performs miracle. But don't you dare tell me that he's God. There's a couple of reasons Jesus doesn't come out and say it plainly. But there are also times in Scripture that he does say it plainly. So why doesn't he tell them? Like I said, their hearts. It's not in Jesus' state of mind. It's in their hearts. N.T. Wright, famous uh, New Testament scholar, on his commentary, in his commentary on the book of Luke, he says this. Here's the reason why Jesus doesn't tell. He says the Pharisees want Jesus to fill their political and religious understanding they want him to be a king, not the king, a king, right? They want him to be a rival to King Herod. They want to say this, they want to get him in trouble with Herod. They want to say, oh, he says he's king. Herod, can you get rid of him? They want him to be a prophet similar to John the Baptist. But they, they want to control Jesus, if you will, right? They want somewhere they can fit him easily to understand him so they can get rid of him. So the suspense continues, N.T. Wright writes. But here's a contrast. Early in the book of John, early in the book of John, in John chapter 4, you know this story if you spend time in, in, in Sunday school and churches anywhere. In, in, in John 4, Jesus gets to a well and he meets a lady at high noon. You know that story? Right? And the woman is, 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 she's had five husbands. Jesus told her that. And she's sitting at the well by herself and, 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 Jesus says, you know, I can give you water. I will quench your thirst. I can, I, can, I can solve, I can show you. And she says, but I heard there's a Messiah coming. You know what Jesus says to him? She says, I am he, plain as day. Why does he answer her plainly, but not them? Because she hit rock bottom. She's at the bottom. They're not at the bottom, right? She has hit rock bottom. She knows that the difference between her and the Pharisees is, is in their hearts. Their hearts, in a sense, the English word heart there, uh, can, I, can, I, can, I go, can I get nerdy on you a little bit? That's all right. The Greek word for the place that you make your decisions, right? The place where your sense overrides your, your rational. The Americans call it your gut. The place where you make, when you sense something and you make a that place where you make your decisions from, the center of one's being, right? The, the Greek word is splechna. That's where we get an English word spleen. Not that the spleen is where we make decisions, but they're trying to get to the point where, you know what I'm saying? That place, right? The seat of someone, a person's spirit, soul, and body is where the decision to reject or receive Jesus comes from. And that's the place in the Pharisees that's hard. The religious leaders are just like us in some ways. They're still clinging to knowledge, education. They're still skeptical, still looking for show and tell. Still, they still have some pride somewhere, unwilling to submit to Jesus. Their hearts are not ready to receive. Some people cannot hear because they haven't hit rock bottom. If you know somebody who's struggling with substance abuse, you know what I'm talking about. If the person has not hit rock bottom, can you really help them? You know what I'm talking about? If you know somebody, somebody who's struggling, if they haven't hit rock bottom, if they're still clinging to one source or something else, it's hard to get them. 
to see Christ. They're looking for a reason to reject and not a reason to believe. I have a few, family, few friends who are stuck in these situations and some family members who haven't hit rock bottom. On the contrast, as we close, have you ever encountered someone who's ready to change? The contrast, have you met somebody who's ready to change? Right? You can just you share the gospel with them and you can tell that within their splechna, they are ready. They are ready. Right? A person who God has already drawn close to them, a person who hasn't made up their mind to reject them, right? The person who has hit rock bottom and is ready to believe doesn't take any miracles. You don't have to do show and tell. You may not even have to share a testimony with them. They're ready. Verse 40. Let me read this for you so you can see it for yourself. It says, Jesus went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. There he remained. And here's a miraculous verse. And many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man is true. And then the last verse says, and many believed in him there. No miracles in that part of town, yet many believed. No miracles. Jesus just went there and remained. And the Bible says they came to him and believed. Do you, still, do you still need a reason to believe today? What are you waiting on to believe? I'm going to close here. December 24th, 1998. Maybe some of you were born, some of you were not born. I was born and I was 19 years old. I'm sitting in the basement of a house in Maryland. My brother, the only family member that I knew was still alive in my life. I have six siblings and I know what the rest of them were. I don't know if they were alive or not. The war is still going on, I'm in the States. My only brother has a massive heart attack at age 38 and he gets taken to the hospital and the doctor says, if he ever wakes up, he won't be able to speak, walk, talk, or function normally. The only family member I knew was still alive. I go down to the basement that night. And at that point, I'm still on the fence about God. I'm still trying to figure, I'm, I, I'm still trying to figure life out. I'm still like, uh, I'm not sure about this God. I'm not sure about this Jesus. That night, I hit rock bottom. And I said, God, if you are real, you have got to change this life that I'm living. You have got to do something that changes the trajectory that I think I am on. Because at this point, I believe it or not, I am so close. I'm not in college. I'm working fast food, and I have no plans. The only I have one plan, but we can talk about that another time. I got desperate, and I came to God. I came because I needed him. I didn't need another reason to believe in Jesus. I was ready. You will never be snatched up from the hands of a loving God if you have placed your trust in him. I can show and tell you all I want, but God has to do the work in your heart. 
If you are here this afternoon or watching, I want to make it clear that if you have not made a decision to walk with God and you still have unanswered questions, whatever they are, if you're still on the fence, let me offer you a clear invitation so you never say I didn't hear it in church. Right? If you want to know Jesus Christ as Lord, do not leave this room. I sound like an old Baptist preacher. <laughs> if you want to join the children of God, the unsnatchable, I call them, the untouchable family of God, do not walk out of here without talking to myself, Dave, David Wagner in the back, Corey, any of the elders here, do not leave. I want you to walk out of here with clear belief in Jesus, clear as day that you understand you do not need another reason to believe. Amen? Amen? God is good. He's ever present. And you will never, if you make the decision, you will never be snatched from his hand. Can't do anything. No one can do anything to snatch you. No one. I rest assured in that, and you can rest assured in that. Let us pray. Thank you, Father God. Lord, I pray for every heart in the room. If there's one person who may not know or wants to be clear and wants to be in your hands so that they cannot be snatched away for eternity, work in their hearts now. Draw them close to you, God. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. May these words that were spoken cement a place in the heart's of the Congregation of Redemption Tucson and in this city. We praise and honor you through all that we do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.